Thompson. Kia ora and welcome to Property Matters. On the show today, we chat with the fabulous Natalie Tollett about becoming unstoppable. Her latest book on how to quit playing small, own your expertise and elevate your business. Plus, we're checking in with Barfoot and Thompson's Jazz from Meadowbank to see what's happening in his neighbourhood. Kia ora and welcome to another week of Property Matters. Fantastic to have you with us. I'm Stephen Dallow. We have a busy show, so we're going to dive straight on in. But remember, you can email us at any time at propertymatters at barfoot.co.nz, especially if you've got a question you'd like answered by our experts on the show, or perhaps you'd like to come on and chat about your business, innovation or industry. We would love to talk to you. Now, absolutely delighted this week to welcome our next guest, Natalie Tolliff, to the show to chat a little bit about her book, Become Unstoppable, but also about this fascinating career. And I particularly love the line, Natalie is one of New Zealand's top sales and mindset coaches. So get ready to have our mindset shifted. Welcome to the show, Natalie. Thank you, Stephen. Nothing like a bit of an intro to be uh, like, who's he talking about? Oh, yeah. that's right. It's me. Yeah. No pressure. Now you need to live <laughs> yeah, no up pressure. to it. <laughs> so look, before we unpack Become Unstoppable, tell us a little bit about who is Natalie. Oh, What's my your gosh, journey Steve. been? Well, how long have we got, everyone? <laughs> Take your time. Put your feet up. Pour a glass of wine, listeners. <laughs> Um, oh, look, I won't give you the too much of a huge rundown from, you know, starting age five, but I'll tell you from, um, I had my first job at 15. So I've known the value of making your own money and having financial freedom to, you know, I had a car before I could drive it because I was able to save up enough money. So I knew independence and freedom from a really young age. Um, and then I kicked off at about uh, 17, I got myself an apprenticeship at the Hyatt Regency, uh, a chefing apprenticeship. Now, it was one of the last um, old school apprenticeships they were ever going to run where you get paid to go through apprenticeship, paid to go to um, learn your qualifications, um, and you had to go through full trade apprenticeship. It was amazing. It was three years. And then I took off overseas to do my you know, overseas experience when I was 21 that we all did um we all you know arrived in the UK and kind of went right what do we do here (laughs) and um I found myself six weeks later after arriving in the UK uh getting a job working in luxury cookery villas in Italy and running the kitchens there so kitchen manager so I got to earn the British pound with no expenses living in Italy uh, getting to teach some very impressive people uh, how to cook. So I was having the time of my life uh, as a chef working with, at that time, very well-known chefs. Thought I'd come back home, a, quite a cocky 25-year-old, I have to say. Uh, I decided to come into partnership and run my own restaurant in New Zealand. Crashed and burned. Burnt a lot of money, team. A lot of money went down the water. And I think of it as my university degree in what not to do in business. <laughs> uh, and so then I became a consultant for hospitality businesses in what not to do uh, because we had learned some hard lessons in that business. And it really, really burnt me in terms of running my own business, really lost a lot of confidence. 
And so I became very good at running other people's businesses and never really putting myself back online, uh, putting my neck on the line again because of that one, that one, one failure. I've had two, which I'm very proud of. Um, the second one came when I had had my first child, was promoted into a wonderful position running a private tertiary school, teaching hospitality, travel and business. And I decided that I wanted that freedom again, that freedom to be able to be at home a little bit more with the kids because uh, we were planning on having another one. And I wanted to go and do something online because at that time, everyone was putting blogs up and getting this online business stuff happening. Um, and it didn't work out for me again. Put a lot of time and effort, wasn't confident enough to kind of see it through. And that was my second failed business. And then I decided, you know what, what, what's the problem? Why, why is it that other people can do this stuff, but I was struggling? So I went and did some work on my what we call mindset, success mindset, and actually worked out that everyone has doubt, everyone has failures. It actually doesn't mean that you aren't good enough and won't ever succeed. It's just that you have to carry on anyway. So. Zoom fast forward to here, I'm now six years into a very profitable, successful business and I began writing a couple of books to help people through the journeys I've come through to help normalize what I didn't know um, when I was doing it. So that's me in a nutshell, Stephen, a very speed, speed date version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But a few things for me to unpack in great, there. Great, great. First of all, when's dinner at your place? Because yeah. it sounds like you know what you're doing. Um, but how do you stay positive? From what advice, I guess, do you give people to stay positive when you're suddenly realizing things are taking a turn for the worse? Yeah. You know, how do you keep that positivity up and, I guess, learn from it and move on? Yeah. So, What's really important is that we don't want to have what we call toxic positivity, where you want to pretend everything's okay, where actually it's all turning to shit. You know, we've got to have a real reality bites come in. But what I learned from something I love to share with people, and it was from um, a, 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 a lady called Mary Morrissey. She's passed now. She was in personal development. And she has taught us and reminded us that you are not your result. So if your business or your adventure, your, if, if they're not working, that is not a representation of you inherently as a person. You're still a good person. You're still worthy of things and you are enough. But people, particularly women, to be honest, we will put the result and base it on ourselves and our self-worth and our capabilities. And we merge the two. And that's the problem. Do we still have a tall poppy syndrome here too, where we're too scared to celebrate the successes? So perhaps we focus too much on the failures? Yeah, I think it's the fact that Kiwis will be, like for me, for example, and I talk about it in my second book, Become Unstoppable, about I didn't celebrate my first book because I was like, oh, everyone writes a book, don't they? Uh, well, actually, it turns out not everyone does write a book. Yeah. But I'd... <laughs> I'd convinced myself because it wasn't a New York best time seller. Therefore, it didn't deserve a celebration. So I think, yes, tall poppy exists, but I think it's because we compare it to what we think it should be. Or if it's not this, therefore it's not great. And I think that's where I had personally been capping myself and other people do that as well. Mm. So 
Talk me through your day-to-day job now. How are you coaching and working with people and what sort of, I guess, clients do you have? Yeah. So it's a a stunning range of women in business. Um, And in particular, it's women with teams. So I'll work with the um, business owner and then work with their key team players at the moment, but also can be working with with startups as well who who have got an idea and want to kind of get out there. Um, But most of the women that I do work with are in that third to seventh year when we can really start to plateau, second guess Mm. ourselves, the industries range from all over. We all have one thing in common and that we're overachievers and that our perfectionist piece of us uh, ends up driving the car and we actually feed the imposter, we feed comparisonitis and we get a hairy ride. So it's, I'm here for the high achievers who want to be great and want to be the best, but actually we can be in our own way most of the time. Mm. You talk about that five to seven year sort of period when, when yeah. you do get a bit, I guess, um, slower, slacker, itchy feet, <laughs> that sort of thing. So it does yeah. kick in a little bit. Yeah. How do you, how, what do you say to someone to sort of keep re-sparking? I mean, it's a bit like a relationship. You've got yes. to have the, the spark, the date night, yes. whatever. What do we do in a work <laughs> environment? Yeah, I think what can happen is we can fall uh, quite easily into what everyone else thinks we should do and we we learn to ask externally, so external validation, what do you think I should do? And I think we then lose the ability to have our intuition say, hey, here's a cool idea. What, why don't we just go play around with it? And so we, we stop using our own voices and we start to believe that what we think and what we want to put out there isn't actually going to be good enough. So we fall into a bit of vanilla. Mm. So, which then can be boring because as a as a creative or an entrepreneur, we um you know one of the things we do have is um usually a big reason why we're doing something. So if you're feeling that you've probably disconnected from why are you doing it, maybe your why's changed, and actually you know where are you kind of blending in? Where have you stagnated personally? We can get a little bit comfortable and come out of comfort zone and that's fine you don't always have to be growing but I do think that you always need to be checking in that you have not taken someone else's voice and that you've lost your own Mm. do you think it's important to take risks good question Stephen because I think (laughs) it depends on you know like everyone's definition of a risk take is going to be different, right? It's a little bit like what's success, what is success for people? And I think risk has to be informed decision-making. Like you need to know going in, your eyes wide open, that you could, this could happen if you take that risk. So when that risk happens and you go, I didn't know, tough luck, Cookie, because you, you should have known. Mm. Um, but most of the time, if, apart from, unless you're giving a lot of money out for risk, the only thing you'll risk losing is coming back to where you were. Does that make sense? So yeah. you're not going to go backwards by taking a chance to move yeah. forward. You can't go further back. You could just come back to where you were. And it's probably that was probably all right. Mm, that's a really good way of describing it. I like that. Um, how important is it to surround yourself with the right positive people, both in your team, but also, you know, coaches like yourself? Like when, when should, say, a manager know, oh, actually mm-hmm. – I need an external person now to bounce this off. 
Yeah, I think if you're constantly having the same question turning around in your head and you've come to indecision and you're someone who's used to making decisions and for some reason you've got you've got yourself in some doubt or you want a sounding board and you're, you've got that missing connection where um, you don't feel judged because a coach, the great thing about having a coach is we don't have, we see you for your full potential. We, I don't have your baggage or your doubt. Mm. I can mm. only see your true value whenever we connect. So I get to remind you of what you have within. And that's the great thing about coaching is that a coach will see your full potential and a good one will keep reminding you that, hey, you've got this in you. Let's just together, let's walk through whatever barriers are coming up. Nice, nice. So talk us through the book now, um, Become Unstoppable. So this one? This one's the Beautiful book, yes. <laughs> look, we, we could mirror it. I've got one too. I know, look. Just <laughs> um, disclaimer, I don't normally go to the beach like that. I just <laughs> I just need to say, I, you know. <laughs> For our radio listeners, Natalie is wearing oh, yeah, a you can't fabulous see. dress. Um, it looks, it almost looks like an opera number, like you're about to break yeah. out into this great aria. So, um, what can I expect picking up the book? What take us through it? Well, I had a, a client today just say, Wow, it was like reading my own journey. Think you know, I've had a lot of people message me and just go, You're so brave to put pen to paper and articulate these things. Um, and that's an interesting thing when you put a book together like this, which is just my intonation of collective um, concepts. You're like, shit, I really hope other people feel this too. So in the book, I talk of things about pedestalling other people, keeping up with the Joneses. I talk about being a jealous person. And I talk to you about the things that I've had in my business journey in the hopes that someone else has had them, which I know they do. Um, the hopes that I can normalize it for you because I get to work with incredible successful people in business and they all have doubts, fears, worries, concerns, all of the stuff that we think goes away when you hurt, hit a certain level. It's just that people get better at dealing with it, but then mm. new things come along. Lovely. Um, what was it like writing the book? excruciatingly hard the first book was a little bit easier uh this was very very hard because I was trying to articulate concepts um and so I worked with a book coach and my two books I've worked with Christine Sheehy who is an editor and book coach so from the beginning we take the whole concept flesh it out and then there were some chapters where she was literally sitting next to me um while I was typing um helping me pull pull the concepts out so it um yeah the even the coach is allowed a coach totally totally <laughs> yeah it was a it was a difficult write um so there's no book number three yet okay <laughs> oh that just stole my next question <laughs> <laughs> yeah someone goes oh you've got to do a trilogy because you've got allergic <laughs> to perfect become unstoppable and what's next I'm like no you need mm. to leave the room <laughs> Yeah, but maybe that chapter's still been written, you see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. When you look back over your career so far, what do you think is one of those biggest learning moments for you, defining learning moment? Oh, you've got some good questions, Stephen. <laughs> I think it was, I remember going to a workshop 
And this speaker at the workshop was amazing. She was wonderful. But I remember sitting there going, oh my gosh, what she's spoken about today, I already know. The difference between her and I right now is she's simply doing it. She's simply up there presenting and being who I want to be right now. For me, I remember just sitting there going, wow, that's the sheer difference. She's not better than or anything. It's just that she's doing it and I'm mm. not. And that for me blew me away because I was like, and this is where I fell in love with imperfect action is, you know, you don't, you can't wait until you're ready. I mean, have you ever heard that saying, you know, I want to wait for my ducks in a row? Like, have you literally ever lined ducks up? They don't line up. No. <laughs> and so that was a defining learning moment that at some stage you have to stop the theory learning. Learning and theory is nothing until you put it into action. And the you will gain confidence when you start doing it. Mm-hmm. And you will only ever attract what we call, so you'll only ever be a relevant expert, which means you're not going to attract people who know more than you. They'll simply move along. You're going to attract people who love your energy in the moment and the people who need your wisdom right then and there. So for me, that was a profound moment because I was like, shit, what, what is actually holding me back? Nothing. Get up there yourself. And so, you know, I started to do that. Mm. You you mentioned at the beginning, you know, you certainly learned what not, what not to do in hospitality. <laughs> you know, what would be your tips for someone thinking of setting up a hospitality business today? Oh, you actually talked about um, should people take risks? I would really go into, um, <laughs> I'd really go into hospitality with my eyes wide open um, and make sure you have, um, you, you need to know your margins very well in hospitality. Um, margins are, are, are really tight. Wastage is really tight. Um, you need to do, you need to have skilled staff. I would make sure that my hospitality business brought in more than one revenue stream. So for example, if it was a cafe, could you also cater? Uh, if you're a cafe who catered, could you also have a, um, you know, a um, mini caravan that was a satellite? Could you supply other satellite right. places? So I would make sure that there was more than one revenue stream. And that's what lockdown showed us. Uh, the mm. cafes who still survived, particularly yeah. small business. I'm going to use that horrible P word, but small business and solopreneurs were able to pivot so much quicker than larger businesses because they could make a decision and go. So mm. I think that hospitality at the moment, you've had a lot of past history to say, hey, don't put your eggs in one basket, literally. And, you know, make sure you've got more than one income stream. Mm. Okay, absolutely. Um, talk me through your coaching side. If I was to sign up with you, what does that that first sort of stage look like? You know, someone rings you up and says, hey, I think I want to a coach I want to you know move to the next level of my leadership skills perhaps how do you engage with them from the start what does that feel like yeah so hopefully they've come through some of my marketing so they get a little a little bit of um my energy so there's a lot of sweary mouth chef still <laughs> in me so there are some sweary bits that come <laughs> out <laughs> um I'm very direct as in like I'll always I won't blow smoke up your butt like I'm going to be honest with you the whole way through I'd rather tell someone that they're in the wrong thing and their and their um, business model isn't scalable or profitable um, and kind of, and if I'm not the right person, move you to uh, refer you on. So we would definitely have a phone call. We would find out where you're at and where you wanted to go. And if I was the next right step, 
um, sometimes it is um, dependent on where you're at in your business and what the gap is and who you actually need at that time. Um, but I'm definitely a coach for the long term. Like some of my most transformative um, clients have been where we've been together, you know, at least a year um, because we get to have deepened relationships a mm. lot. I'm nice. sitting here. I'm sitting here outside with my dogs, and they're not allowed to be in the garden. And because they know I'm on a Zoom, they're both in the garden digging the dirt. <laughs> Honestly, what is it like? They're going steam. Keep asking questions. <laughs> keep asking questions. Well, I've got one final question. It's a tough one, but it's oh, one we uh-oh. like to ask on the show. And knowing what you know now, uh-oh. if you could go back and sit your 16 year old self down, what advice would you give 16 year old Natalie? knowing what you know now listen i appreciate the question however you didn't get to meet sassy 16 year old nat okay who already had a job i was rolling ice creams i was flipping burgers i thought i was the bomb Stephen, she would not have listened <laughs> she would not have listened i didn't listen to older people then i sure as shit ain't gonna listen to myself and that's the problem with that question is she probably wouldn't have listened <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. That's the most honest answer. Well, I I still remember one guest who said, I would tell my 16-year-old, keep buying the Happy Meals because the toys toys keep you young. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. But that was a good one. (laughs) Um, Natalie, it's been absolutely fabulous chatting to you tonight. How can people get in touch with you and find your book and talk to you about coaching? Well, if you can spell well, come to my website. There's my name, Natalie Tolliff. I know that the radio can't hear it, but... Um, there might be some show notes or something. Um, you'll find me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and my website. But yeah, come and check me out there and um, don't read me message or email. And um, we can have a chat if there's something you want to talk about that you've heard today. Fantastic. And we'll pop the links up on our social media pages. Um, but it's Tolif spelled T-O-L-H-O-P-F. Fantastic, Natalie. Yay. So great to have you. you. All the best for the rest of the year. And we'll look forward to catching up when you're ready to publish book number three. Uh-oh. Thanks, Stephen. <laughs> now, our next guest on Property Matters today is Jasdeep Jador, who is from Barfoot & Thompson's Meadowbank branch and is the head of Property Management. Welcome to the show, Jazz. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. And tell us, Head of Property Management. Now, I think from memory, we caught up uh, quite a while ago on Property Matters, several years ago now. Um, Your role has changed since then. So how long have you been in this role in this branch? Um, I've just come in on to about a year now. Um, Come May, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so just shy of a year. it's been really, really good, challenging, but it's different demographics. It's it's totally different from from what I'm used to, which was normally up south. So yeah, what I guess does that make differences around sort of things like tribunals, etc. You know, it does the demographic shift in those spaces. Yeah, I think it's a level of understanding as well. I hate to say it, but like I mean, the South Auckland game is a bit more of a cash cow, if you will. So mm-hmm. money in, money out. Whereas um, investment properties out here towards the eastern bays and whatnot um, are a lot more appreciated, if you will. So you know, landlords do call up and they want to, they want several quotes. They're not necessarily interested in the um, the cheapest. 
um, they're more interested in actual quality because they know that they've got an asset and they want to make sure that, that their tenant feels appreciated as well. And, you know, so it's a, it's a give and take kind of thing, relationship. So I've noticed that a lot more around here. So, yes, it's a bit more admin work for us. Um, but happy to do it, especially when we've got good quality landlords and good quality tenants as well. That makes our life in the long run a lot more easier. Look, you know, I, I've been a lifelong renter and it's there's something to be said for feeling valued as a tenant, you know, and I've had different landlords over my time, but I've had a couple of absolutely fantastic ones who literally do value you as a tenant and ask you, so what improvements would you like made to the property that will keep you here longer? And I think you're right. If an, a landlord can see that, they're going to have a more stable income because they're not going to have that down period where the property's up for let. You've had an interesting year this year with cyclones and floods, and we're only at April. Um, how has your team coped? How impacted were you by those this year? Fortunately, um, not that much. I think out of our entire portfolio, there's only about two or three. And even then, um, it was mainly one, which thankfully the tenant was um, had contents insurance as well. So that was a win. <laughs> um, and the property obviously was insured as well. But other than that, everything else has just kind of been small downfall. So we weren't um, impacted as what um, uh, Oriwa and all the other officers were. So, yeah, pretty thankful in that respect. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, even then, again, with the tenant side of things, they appreciate these things that ha um, had been occurring. And so, yes, we were still busy. It's just that I guess even the tenants basically understand they're not so demanding because they understand the impacts and the pressures that we're, we're, we're up against in this role. So they might send us an email, they might have issues, but they respect the fact that, hey, um, it's, it's not going to be a, far, uh, a quick turnaround because we've, we're busy, but, hey, it's, it will get done. Um, but with the, with the cyclone, yeah, not necessarily, not too much of an impact on our office or our portfolio. That's brilliant. Um, for people listening outside of Auckland on our show, tell us a little bit about Meadowbank as an area and neighbourhood and why do you like it so much? Like I say, I'm, I'm predominantly from out south. I live out south, I stay out of Fatbush, so I commute here every single day. Um, coming here, look, it's the sun's always shining. Like if I turn my... <laughs> If, if I do, it's always shining over here. Um, I don't know why. Like I've got so, so much natural sunlight in the morning, hence why I kind of love it. It brings positivity. Yeah. Um, then we've also got a lot of people that, that basically are walking around and um, they're not afraid to say hello. They're not afraid to have a conversation. In terms of the properties itself, yeah, they're pretty good. Yes, they're a little bit dated because Metabank is a fairly old neighbourhood. Um, but then having said that, there's so much construction, so much development going on here from, you know, the uh, urbanisation and whatnot. It's everywhere, from mm. here to Leninus mm. to everywhere. Because of that change, see, I have a fascination with houses and development and, and, and building and all the rest of it. Um, <clears throat> seeing a house going from, you know, like your quarter acre or even like a thousand square metres to going into like five or six um, uh, apartments or units, Seeing it on such a see, look again. I'm used to like uh, flat land. Most people mm. doing this kind of work on flat land, but Meadowbank is very hilly. So therefore, seeing it and how they're actually using the retaining walls and using the construction, all, all and, and, and seeing all of this come up, um, for me, it's fascinating. Okay, it's it's so friendly. <laughs> it's, uh, it's I, I, nice. I just, yeah, it's it, it's a friendly environment. No one's afraid to say go away, I'm busy, I'm this and that. Everyone's <laughs> always here to basically give you a helping hand or have a good friendly conversation. It's got that community village sort of feel to it, doesn't Very it? That so. vibe. Yeah. So. 
So what type of homes are tenants looking for? If I'm an investor looking at purchasing a property in Meadowbank, I've made my call that that's a good area to invest in. What sort of home should I buy? What are they queuing out the door for? At present, is the family orientated um, house with space? Um, so maybe what so they could allow their pets. We get we get a lot of inquiries for okay. owners with pets and whatnot. Um, you know, they might come in and and then eventually um, ask for their pet to uh, be allowed to come through. So that's a, like another tactic that we've seen that te- uh, tenants are using, which is fine. Um, landlords are very accommodating, so long as it's a win-win, if you will. Um, for the landlord and the tenant, but I guess the landlord's more concerned about hey damages to the property. But other than that, they're, they're fine. Um, the new builds are attracting a bit of a because te- um, I, I guess that they they've got that uh, glow around them. That oh my god, it's brand mm. new. Oh, it's great. Um, but then having said that, because there's a lack of space, the rent is just slightly a little bit more cheaper. So yes, we are getting a lot more people engaging towards those um, the cheaper rents in this area. But I guess it's the local commute from here to the CBD, which is only like 10 to 15 minutes on a good day. And everything else, you've got your sport, you know, you've got good schools around here. You've got the sporting equipment down towards GI, um, um, uh, the tennis courts and Stonefields and all the rest of it. It's just that community. Um, mm. They just want to be around here. Um, the two bedrooms and one bedrooms, not necessarily. They're a little bit slow, to be honest with you, around in this area. Um, but... I guess it's more so that family orientated three to four, even five to six bedrooms, you know, um, people are really wanting to, um, they're queuing out the doors for those. Mm, brilliant. And what sort of services do your team do? How are they looking after our owners and investors and tenants? So with us, well, standard um, property management services that we we implement through Barfoots, definitely make sure those are adhered to. But then having said that, um, we do go out of our, our out of our way so basically so we have a a colleague prav like i mean he's in and out with owners and investors all the time um from big developers through to small mum and dads but just feeding them that knowledge of what's happening um hey look you know we've got a property around the corner that's for sale were you interested or maybe they wanted to sell um just giving the landlords that information um that knowledge so they can make an informed decision that helps. They again, they feel like okay, this property manager is actually thinking about me. Um, so that shows us that, that that's kind of a point of difference. So between the other offices with Rimura, um, Stonefields, and St Helias, I believe that we're doing um, just being that much more engaged with the landlords, but then also with tenants as well. So then mm-hmm. giving them that information. So like, I mean, if we've got um, we got forty one line A road. I mean, I think there's about six or seven applications on there. Yes, we're not going to have. We're only obviously one application. One applicant is going to get that house, but the remaining five or six, we shuffle them around to our and, and try and show them proactively that hey, maybe if not this property you are unsuccessful for, how about you try this one here? You know, um, and then again, tenants feel appreciated just in that respect. Um, so having that proactive engagement with tenants and landlords that helps us out quite a bit. Then there is. It's more about prospecting for me because um, I've got a sales background. So I'm actively engaged. I guess this is just going back to what I was saying before. It's just giving that knowledge to our landlords and just trying to make sure that they understand that, hey, they're valued. But then also the reason why you're paying me is, well, the information that I've got. I mean, that's 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 where we're at. Uh, that's mm. what the managers do. Yeah, that's it for me. Well, Barf and Thompson celebrating 100 years this year. What is it about the company that you think has made it stand the test of time? What's its uniqueness? 
I think it's its market share, to be honest. It's almost on par, in my family, I'd say, um, on par with McDonald's. Um, I've got kids, I've got, sorry, I've got my own kids, but I've got nephews and nieces and whatnot. And when they're driving to school when they're kindy and whatnot, the instance they see a Barford and Thompson car or a v, or an office, they're yelling out my name to, to, the, to the parents, <laughs> to the parent driving. Um, so it's it's amazing how that market share has flowed on to kids. I mean, obviously, we're, we're, we're market leaders in, in our respective areas, but how it's caught on to the next generation mm-hmm. as well, just automatically. Um, and to me, that was fascinating because I was proud when, when you know when they said, "Hey, look, there's Uncle going down the road." Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. But they still saw they still saw value, and they st- they still remembered me, even yeah. though it wasn't me. It was Barford and Thompson. They still see my face on it as well, even though it says Barford and Thompson. So market share is probably the big uniqueness yeah. for me. Brilliant. Well, Jazz, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for checking in. If you want to speak to Jazz and his team, head to barfoot.co.nz forward slash Meadowbank. All the contact details are there. I hope the rest of 2023 is cyclone and weather event free for you. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jazz. Thanks, Stephen. Cheers. Well, thanks for joining us for another week and thanks to Jazz and Natalie, our fabulous guests on today's show. You can catch up with past episodes on Spotify, Apple or Samsung Podcasts, iHeartRadio or basically wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. And remember, we come every week on Monday from 4.15 on Planet FM 104.6. Heading back live into the studio, it's had a big refresh and remake and we'll be back live in May. Really looking forward to that. A big thank you to Barfoot and Thompson for your sponsorship, to our marketing team for helping us, Matt for getting the word out, and Adam for editing the show. Have a fabulous week, and we'll catch you next week on Property Matters. Property Matters.